0: Hello and welcome to The Librarian is in, the New York Public Library podcast about books, culture, and what to read next. I'm Frank.
1: And i Crystal. Ha 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 ha. The, the classic joke. The classics. Everyone's rolling on the floor <laughs> with laughter. Horrible. <laughs> uh, yes, they are. Bring back the classics. Mm-hmm. All right. Is it up to me? Is it up to me again to break you the? News?
0: Okay, you you do it. I want to hear you break it.
1: Oh God! Ugh. I can't. I'm too too. I can't. All right. So everybody, uh, this will be Crystal's final episode of the librarian is in.
2: Hooray! <sighs> <laughs>
1: She's been desperate to get away from me for all these years. Or has it been years? How long has it been?
0: I want to say it's at least been one year. It could be two years.
1: <laughs> time. I don't
0: know, time has passed very weirdly for me. But I do feel like I started in April. I don't think I started in April of last year. Did I? Or was it the year before?
1: It's amazing how I don't even know. Um, I think it was the year before. 2021. 20, right.
0: Let me look at my notes. Yeah, because
1: Rhonda was around for a year.
2: Mm-hmm. He started in
1: 2020. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Here we go again.
0: <laughs> Wait, let me see when I created my notes documents. That would give me the answer. Uh, April
1: 2021.
0: Yeah. Is, oh, so it's been two years because it's oh. 2023.
1: Yeah. Oh, not quite two years, but almost. Yeah, anyway, is moving on to more glamorous pastures. Possibly, we'll see how happy she is leaving me.
0: Yeah, I am leaving. Nobody
1: seems to fare very well once they leave the podcast, which is a complete lie because Gwen and Rhonda are thriving. Um <laughs> So, what are you? What are you doing? Where are you going? Why are you doing it? How's it me? happening?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I've worked at NYPL for like nine years. This is the start of my 10th year, but um, I took another job and it'll be at Facing History and Ourselves. Um, which I think is a really great like company that does a lot of educator and teaching resources um, focused around history and focus a lot around um, like I think challenging educators and students to stand up against bigotry and hate, which I, uh, I always appreciate a mission statement like that. Um, and I'm going to be the manager of digital educator support and archivist. Um, And it is a fully remote job, which I think was a big consideration for me because then I can get 20 puppies, (laughs) which is my ultimate goal in life is to just have a pack of dogs in my apartments, my tiny, tiny New York apartments.
1: But you don't have a dog now. You have a cat. I
0: have a cat. And I think he also wants a pet dog. I'm pretty sure we've had conversations
1: I mean this is to be honest actually it's a, here the culture part again of the podcast but that is such an interesting argue, um, issue of today mm-hmm. um the remote work versus going into a space or an office mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. wherever um i mean i see this conversation all over the place and it's like we were talking before we went on about how about having guests Oh, so we should say we're going to take a couple of weeks off and figure out what we're going to do next with the podcast. Um, and we'll see. Hopefully we'll have some wonderful surprises.
0: And I've, you know, I've proposed hmm? to Frank to do a very Hunger Games style sort of selection of co-hosts. And whoever survives it's uh-huh. like Squid Game, becomes
2: uh-huh. <laughs> Frank's uh-huh. There's a oh, dystopian myself. movie right there
1: that I could get behind. Yes, yes. But the producers have to be evil, the evil ones, not me. I just want to be a, a caught, a caught in the caught in the hierarchy of mm-hmm. of it all. So I'm sort of a hero as well. I don't want to be the villain per se. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I could, that could be the twist. You don't think I'm the villain, but then I am at the end.
0: Anyway, <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm leaving, or maybe I'm being pushed out by Frank. Who knows? Ooh. Yeah, know, right.
1: See, if we, if we were like to
0: turn this podcast into Frank's salon.
1: If we had like gossip columnists following us, they'd be like, is Crystal really leaving? Or is, or is she pushed out in a power struggle behind <laughs> the scenes at NYPL?" Well, I'm like, no one will ever know the truth. Well,
0: back to your, your comment about the the remote work aspect mm. of it. You know, I have been thinking about that a lot. It was not something that I really thought like my career path was going because I've worked in the very like front facing roles for a long time. And then only in the last year or so that I've been doing a more behind the scenes role. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think remote work is great. I think it allows some flexibility, but I do have like a fear that I'm going to turn into a hobgoblin and never leave my apartment ever. So yeah. I'm trying to be very like thoughtful about, you know, go outside, take a walk, etc. Um, and I think the other thing I'm going to really miss about the kind of work environment that I have now is you go into the office and you get to see a lot of people who are your colleagues, but also like your friends, right? And that sort of social aspect was really nice, but also those social interactions that lead to interesting collaborations because you have conversations. You're like, oh, my department does this, your department does this, maybe we can work on this together. And I don't know how that will look in a, a fully remote job, right? Yeah. Um, I think there are other benefits to it, but um, you know, I will miss that for sure. I
1: mean, you you could there could be a hybrid element. It's not one or the other. I mean I mm-hmm. you know that that's the thing right now. And you said about becoming a hobgoblin is that you are sort of like the first wave of this kind of work. So the ramifications won't be known for a while, like whether it's good for people in quotes or not good for people, or does it even matter? Um, but I, you said the word thoughtful, which is always the the cornerstone for me. It's like thoughtful about oneself is that, sure, there's a lot of stress coming into a workplace and there's also a lot of joy. And But it's, it's sort of the only thing for me, I sort of like, spaces. I like,
2: um,
1: collaboration. I mean, I, you know, if if there's one thing I've learned over the million years that I've been at the library is I would never come up with the great ideas via any platform. It's always in person talking to someone Mm -hmm. randomly encountering them in the library, having a meeting. That's where the ideas come from. I've had so many meetings with people, interested in doing programs that we start off talking about one and it turns into something else. And that's really a hundred percent. I don't think I've ever had personally a brainstorm success via email Mm
2: -hmm. or even online.
1: I mean, I haven't done it that much online, really. I don't have a lot of online meetings, but um, it's always been that way. I mean, but it's not to say as time progresses, you know, like with your new job that, it will become a different feel when you're online. And I don't know, who knows? I mean, we don't know.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I I like what you were saying about like the, the kind of um, leaving room for maybe the unexpected Mm -hmm. things that happen. And I I think, sure. Like I can socialize because my job currently is hybrid, right? And right. I can make meetings with people, but you have to kind of plan that out. You know, when are they free for a meeting? And then we can have a conversation about collaboration. But there's not a lot of room for, like, unexpected things or surprising things to happen, I think, um, in a fully, like, remote virtual um, work life. But, again, I think there are other things that... Um, will be goods that kind of outweigh that, at least for me personally. um, But, you know, it's going to be a learning process for
1: sure. I'm not going to take up the standard of like, you know, remote is awful. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, whatever. I, I mean, people will evolve as they evolve. That's the way it goes. I mean, but I do think that all the time about what I do. And a lot of, I feel like the most fun part or most, and it's an important part and it's a consistent part is, to provide surprise and the unexpected to the public for them to encounter spaces, programs, moments that are maybe slightly unexpected or a surprise to say, oh, you do that in the library. Oh, this is here. This is, you know, this program was this and that's what I do like. Um, But also consistency in terms of what people can expect but that that element of surprise and um, um, unexpected is important to me. Like even if it's this artwork placed in the library or something like that, it's just yeah. like people will go, where did you get that painting? Or, I mean, I'm going to, I, I'm going to, a well, maybe I shouldn't say, but I'm going to a regular library patrons. I'm going to meet this. He wants to donate some artwork. And I just said, yes, out of hand. Like, I don't even know mm-hmm. what it's going to be, but it's just like, you, that's, maybe that's a surprise for me too, but it might turn into something interesting. And I feel like that's sort of a relationship with the community that, is important like you just say yes to so much and then see see how it all happens Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know you can't fulfill everything always not everything is fulfilled but it's the sort of like constant um saying yes and seeing what happens but that also is a stress i mean sometimes it's like you take on a lot and you're like it's too too much i can't make this all happen but I don't think I could do it any other way, but that's what I meant. Like by the work, work life can be stressful sometimes and can be pleasurable, but I think that's just life and there's nothing wrong with that. It, yeah. It's just what humans do. I mean, you'll have that at home. If you worked at home, you'll have stress full days and you'll have stressful days, but I, you know, and we'll see how it plays out, but I've read so much about it where people are very thrilled to, uh, manage their own time on, on their own. They can walk the dog. They can, Pick mm-hmm. up the kids, they can do a lot mm-hmm. from home and still get a lot of work done. And a lot of people say they get more work done from home. Which always begs the question for me is like, what is the work? I mean, to me, like being on a laptop for seven hours a day sounds like horror. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be on a computer all that time. But that means they must solely be doing work through their computer or doing something they can do at home and then it's sent out via their computer, you know? Is that what you'll be doing? I guess data. I think or?
0: I will. Uh, so yeah, I, I you know, there, for me, like I, I personally find myself to be more productive when I'm working at home. Part of that is because when I'm in the office, because there's so many of my colleagues and friends and whatever, it's like super yeah. distracting. Like it's fun. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoy it. But at the same time, I also recognize that I get very distracted by like other conversations that are happening and. You, know, you can kind of hear like everything that's going on so there's not like a, a lot of quiet or silence um i think another big determination in me um you know selecting this job like beyond the fact that like i think the people i interviewed with and the hr like they all seem really wonderful and i the mission statement really aligns with my like own sort of interests um is It does allow me a lot of flexibility and like visiting my family, you know, and being able to like work from home. But while I'm visiting family who, you know, they work during the day as well and not having to to be like certain set times based on like certain set schedules. So I think that's that was a big kind of component because, you know, you want to my family lives very far. Like I do. I think at this point, half the recordings in Texas. So, yeah,
1: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I mean, work-life balance, I guess you're talking about? Whatever. Well, I have yeah, work-life balance. I,
0: I think I work pretty intensely. You know, I get, get like yeah. hyper-focused and all that kind of stuff. But just being able to do some of that work, while I'm also like at home in Texas. And then in the evenings, getting to see my family and spending more time with them is, I think, you know, a nice. consideration. Um, yeah.
1: It's interesting because what, as with most, what I realize this conversation can turn into a very personal, um, and I think it's that way for everybody, a very personal discussion on oneself and how that manifests, how we manifest work mm-hmm. and what our values are and what our actual life situations are. Because
2: yeah.
1: I can agree with a lot of what you're saying, but like, you know, I don't have a lot of commitments outside of work. And, and mm-hmm. it's sort of like, you know, I mean, it's it sounds well like work is everything in a way, but it, like it's it, it's it's I don't know. I'm getting bollocks up because now I feel like I'm saying what, like everyone's like, you shouldn't be that way. Like, why are you here? You should go home. And I just like to do what I want to do when I do it. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say is that um I couldn't it couldn't be online all the time. It just couldn't be. It, it has to. Mm-hmm. The interactive, there has to be, but that there's the hybrid part. So it will evolve. Mm-hmm. Life will evolve, I and mean, we're talking about something that's really fairly new. I mean, it's it is surprising that surprising the technology was there a couple of years ago. but We wouldn't have ever thought of having a meeting online, at least in the library. We would never have been like, oh, well, just you know, I'll send you a Google Meet link. I mean, it was always there, but mm-hmm. we didn't think of using it. Now that's out in the open.
0: Yeah, and, and I and I freely admit too, like hearing what you're saying about coming in and like having this very like in-person interaction, how I think that is a big part of librarianship. And I fully recognize that the role that I'm taking now is sort of a, certainly a huge step away from public librarianship, which is the majority of my career, right? Um, and even though it is an archivist role, you know, that's very different from um, what, I do as like a teen librarian, right? Or what you do as a library manager. And and it sort of is a step away. And I do think I will miss a lot of those like aspects of that one-on-one in-person um, interaction, like uh, in, a, in a front-facing library. I, I still miss some of that. But I think I will get some of that back in my sort of engagements with the educators who are using this yeah. resource, right? It's just going to be very, um, I think mostly digital through email, which I, I'm okay with. But, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. you're not like, I imagine you won't be having these kind of like casual chatty conversations at the desk, which is really nice and um yeah, it's tough. It's tough, but you know what? If I need that, I'll just stop by Jefferson Market.
1: <laughs> you can you can do well, like a lot of people. You can. We have requests for using the room I'm currently even in about people having meetings just themselves on the computer. Um, you can always come here and remote work.
2: Mm-hmm. And, Your remote
1: work from here.
0: And it's you know, another way
1: libraries are serving the public, providing those spaces. I'm sorry. Wait
0: there's so many libraries I can go to just remote work from, but no, I was going to add to like, I always think about the things that I might miss in my job. How can I supplement it in my like personal life? And I remember thinking about that a lot when I went from the branches and I was working so directly with the teens and how much I was like, I'm so worried going into the centralized role that I will no longer have that relationship. I won't be making an impact on their lives. I won't be hearing about like their day and what they're doing and doing reader's advisor and all that kind of stuff. And I just kind of like comforted myself with the idea that like, look, if I get to the point where I'm in this this new job centrally where I really miss that, I can always look for volunteer opportunities and go back into library space. I can like mentor teens or young people or find other ways to support, right? Have I had time for any of that? No, but you know, it was always, comforting to have that in the back of my mind that like it doesn't mean that you will never get this ever again there yeah. are just other ways to find that and i i try to remember that like in my transition to this new job yeah. it's we not could, like i'm banned from well maybe right. i am from nypl who knows <laughs>
1: like, We can yeah. certain i mean i think that's safe to say we can certainly um uh and this might be a good segue to the book <laughs> yes. the segues um that work work life will evolve with the yeah. technology that we have. But you just reminded me of something too that so, that has become so important to me since the pandemic is is the you know the like the journey of going to work or that the the sort of like sometimes it's a little stressful but like that sometimes you have to have a little stress to have a sort of to have pleasure. I mean to sort of go through that process. But I it, you made me think of um, all the. How everyone needs something to do. Like this concept of work and universal income is a sort of ripping the lid off of the possibility that maybe enough people don't have enough to do. And this constant discussion of like AI replacing things or automated replacing jobs, it's sort of like we're at core human beings and we need something to do. I mean, you'd even just said. If my work online doesn't give me satisfaction, I'll find a volunteer thing. So we're, human beings are looking for ways to be productive and give back. Mm-hmm. So you're just reminded me about when one when would go to work, when it was not a remote situation, all the ancillary businesses, usually mom and pops, which I've come to revere since the pandemic, w- played a part in your day. The corner store where you got coffee, the mm-hmm. place where you got a sandwich, um, you know, the park, that you went in to sit, like somebody's maintaining the park, someone's running the, the coffee business, someone's making the sandwich. And then like all those little businesses shut or, shutting down because like whole office buildings are not being used. Mm-hmm. And also, so it's like that sort of communal sort of um, neighborhood feel that I, so I sort of grown to love, like all oh, the little small mom and pops in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, And I intentionally go to, cause I love the feel of it. And I, I tend to think of the library in a way as a mom and pop. Um, As sort of like our own small, quote, business. I hate the word for the library, but our own small establishment. That's that I've grown to like this thing that everyone has their contribution. Like, I'm going to check out books to you. I'm going to add value to your life by giving, finding a great book to read or attend a great program. And then our next-door neighbor is going to make the great cup of coffee. And the next door after that is going to do your nails really well. And the next door after that is going to sell hardware that I need to fix the table in the library. And I can run over across. Like I ran out and bought. <laughs> I'll, you could figure out what happened, but I, had to, I literally was on the desk and I walked out the door to, to the next door hardware store and bought a plunger because the bathroom got all messed up and we didn't have one because it's our new bathroom so I I literally just walked off ran over bought a plunger it came Mm -hmm. back and it was like I love that they were there yeah Yeah. it's that kind of I really love that kind of neighborhood thing and I said it might segue to this book because there is sort of like a setting in this book we read elsewhere Mm -hmm. that sort of gave that small town feel of everyone had a business they had a a purpose they had a but it's not the main part of the story. But they all, you know, had their jobs and blah blah blah. Anyway. Like
0: the way it, when I listen to you talk about the library and everything, it's always super inspiring. Inspiring listening to you talk about that. Oh. But um, I, I like that idea that there's this kind of consistency, like. Uh, one of my friends, like she has a very, very set schedule in her day, and that uh, the library is kind of like woven into the fabric of her life, <laughs> or whatever. Where yeah. it is this very consistent stop that she always makes on certain days, mm-hmm. and then she does laundry on certain days and this and that. And if any of that were to be disrupted, I think it would disrupt her whole life, right? And and I think libraries are like that. So you don't like mm-hmm. notice it until maybe it's gone, and then when it's gone, it's a big problem.
1: I mean, the disruption of the pandemic and our renovation and all that definitely made me realize that one of the strengths of of libraries and maybe it's all small businesses is consistency is being there reliably when one needs you. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this book. We could go on forever. Apparently, we, truly. Well, you suggested that we read this book elsewhere by Alexis Shaken. Um, mm. Why did you Why did you want to read this? What what would you hear about it? What
0: Okay, I'm going to do such a bad job of explaining this book, so I may have to rely on you for that. But I think the concept of it was very interesting to me, right? So the way this book is described and actually happens is that there is this place where um, the mothers, like there's women and they have these babies. And then once in a while, like a mom just like disappears and is completely gone, and once they're gone, there's a whole ritual for, like, grieving and, like, burning their stuff, so they're kind of almost, like, forgotten, right? And the main character is Vera, and she is, I think, like, a a, a young girl initially, and then she is seeing all the stuff happen, but there's also another person that comes into the town, this kind of, like, unknown adult woman named Roof, right? And then there's all these kinds of interesting interactions, and she's sort of, like, roof is kind of pushed out um and then Vera gets older witnesses more people become mothers uh, disappear and then she becomes a mother herself and I think it's fearful of like disappearing and then like leaves and comes back and there's like more stuff that's kind of spoilery but I, I just really thought this idea of um this like Search or exploration of identity, especially as a woman, when maybe your role has changed, like you could become a mom and what that means. And do you kind of like lose yourself in motherhood to the point that you almost like actually disappear was sort of fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I think the writing... um, does some kind of interesting things on talking about that subject. And it does, did it not have that very, um, Margaret Atwood, who was the other person that they could this to And Shirley Jackson's The Lottery vibe. Did you experience that or feel that way?
1: Um... I mean, not particularly. I mean, I love Shirley Jackson. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem completely as dark as Shirley Jackson can get.
2: Oh, yeah, that's true. Her her writing is
1: different. Alexis Shapkin's writing is different than Mm -hmm. either one of them. But there's elements of it because you're in a, you could say, dystopic setting that you don't know really what's going on. And everything's, again, familiar enough Mm -hmm. to -to day-to-day life, but there's these weird... Unfamiliar customs. elements to daily life that make yeah. it a little off base, like Margaret Atwood has done, the, Never, the disappearance of mothers.
0: <laughs> well, I think the, man, really the ritualistic aspects, like in mm-hmm. the lottery, right—the mm-hmm. kind of normalization of customs right. and rituals that are completely bizarre. Right. I think that's yeah. the connection of the
1: two. That's a good, again, good point. But she, to, to, in this book, elsewhere, the it's, there isn't a sense of dread. I mean, there's a sense of looming.
0: There is for me
1: in terms of the really. It, I mean, <laughs> they, they, even Vera, like you know, they contemplate yeah. their disappearance,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: they they contemplate it, uh, but they don't. I mean, no one's, and, they, and no one. It doesn't seem to be this mm-hmm. truly horrifying. Experience.
0: Yeah, it's not. Really. Hard, I would agree with that. I think the lottery is. More much mm-hmm. more on the horror genre. like the
1: daily the ritual of that is so horrifying that it's normal mm-hmm. so normal mm-hmm. um, that the that lottery occurs here. It's normal, but it's so it will what we talked like we talked before, it's so part of their life
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: so embedded in their life that it is not like a horribly it's not horrible to contemplate. It's just sort of what is. and people are it's facing the unknown, but they know it's going to happen at some point. I think I it's know. every mother. It's not just well. That's not true. I mean, I feel like all the mothers disappeared in it. A
0: lot of it. I think it was unclear to me if all of them do, but it seemed like at a certain point,
1: most of them do. Well, when Vera comes back at the end of the novel, um, she and she's older. Mm-hmm. Some of the mo- her co- her cohorts are still there. Oh, there disappeared like Marie, who runs the hotel. I mean, there are people who are moms who have not disappeared, mm-hmm. maybe yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe that's the key, or maybe it's just it's not. See, that's the thing about the book. It's like it sets up this very serious setting and and rituals and, and of this town life. It's never really explained mm-hmm. um, about why these things happen. It's just what is, and even the whole world is slightly familiar yet unfamiliar because Vera does leave this community, which is on a mountain shrouded in mist and clouds. And she goes off and into the world and the world she goes into, it seems familiar, but you, you don't really know what time it is, what,
2: mm-hmm. what
1: year, or even if that even matters, it's it's familiar enough, but different enough. Even the the geography. I mean, take like all these German names for, or mm-hmm. Austrian names for, uh, the river and the town so where really are you I mean that was an interesting thing she names the streets and the river and the town like the Graubach like very Austrian I wonder why she did that the author I don't know I don't know
0: you know it, that was unclear to me too and I actually found the parts where uh, Vera left to go to this other town to be like the weirdest parts for me, like I don't think I, I quite like understood it. Like I understood that she had to leave and and she had to leave to go el- elsewhere to be mm-hmm. able to come back as essentially kind of a stranger, right? And, but the time that she spent in that other town, I was just like, I don't know what this means. in terms Towns. Of the, or towns, yeah. you know, this greater like um, metaphor of like motherhood and life, right? All right. In return do you have well,
1: a no you yeah yeah what you just said um so vera you know grows a teenager at the beginning of the book grows up has kids of her own and then decides to leave we she talk starts her, sh- right
0: because she what? like weird things were happening and it seemed like she, she felt
1: was- like she was about to disappear yeah. and before that could happen she felt like she had to leave mm-hmm. but you just said she had to leave so she could come back Yes, which she does yes. years and years later as a mm-hmm. middle aged person. But mm-hmm. I didn't think of it that, quite that way that she had to leave in order to come back. Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean by that? Well,
0: I mean, in order for the story to. Do, so this is a spoiler part, like this, the end of the story mirrors the beginning of the story. So Ruth is mm-hmm. the stranger that comes into the this um, town, right? And she comes to the town. Um, Vera initially likes her as a young girl, right? But then, like, Ruth is, like, sleeping with her father, who is, I guess, a widow at this point because the mom has disappeared, et cetera. And then Vera and the other, some of her other friends, like, basically push Ruth out. And they're like, we don't want you here, right? And then Ruth, I think, just, like, disappears down a river or something like that. I don't know.
2: Yeah, when like,
0: Vera grows up, has her own child Iris, she leaves to to go away um, and then she returns I think for love of Iris and her husband etc, right? When she comes back she's not recognized as Vera yeah. and she is like then having a relationship with her, her husband, Who? but they don't know like right. it's very weird because what happens is she essentially is mirroring roof. so Roof was her mother, she didn't recognize that that was her mother, right. and, like pushed her out you know and it, the same thing happens to her by her own daughter iris right and i think that was kind of interesting too because maybe that says something about like um girls and like um growth and and how i don't
1: i don't know i don't know like maybe the rejections of their mothers and i don't know the of the job well yeah. it did occur to me at times that like mothers who are so important when you're and will remain important whether you know it or not the rest of your mm-hmm. life when you're very little you, at some point they become invisible to their kids cuz the kids push them mm-hmm. away in mm-hmm. the world yeah. so there is that element of it but um when you it's when you when you, well when you said that whole period when she when Vera leaves the community mm-hmm. and goes into the wider war, world for years and years and she leaves because she feels like she's about to disappear she's feeling like she's feeling physically like she's disappearing yeah, um, and so she knows her time has come so she decides to leave the community as if to save herself like if she does leave the community she won't go into the ether like all the other moms mm-hmm. do and she she leaves, though i think because which is an interesting thing it's it, it's you could say it's almost selfish mm-hmm Or a concern with one's feelings in that she leaves because she doesn't want to disappear, in that she doesn't want to not love her kid. Mm -hmm. She leaves so she could stay alive so she can contemplate and feel the love for her child. And she knows if she stays, she's feeling like she'll disappear and it'll just be gone. She almost Mm -hmm. wants to prolong that feeling of mother love
2: Mm -hmm. by
1: absenting herself from the child herself you know what I mean and so the 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 I found that a really interesting part of the book when she's when Vera leaves that community and goes into the wider world through these different towns has these different experiences actually very evocative and sort of poignant because they don't so-called relate to the larger story but to me it was just that was the point in that it was did not matter where she went what she did how she did it how she satisfied her needs she had one brief relationship it was that she was alive and could contemplate her daughter iris and even at one point encounter a possible substitute gabby that girl who she watches Mm -hmm. the seaside town but it was really more about if you think about it like what that mother love is, is that she just cannot not have that feeling and she can't contemplate her disappearance and not being able to feel that. Mm -hmm. So it is sort of very focused on the self because she leaves her own daughter. Yeah. um, So she can love her own daughter. Mm -hmm. In a way.
0: Then like the consequences of that too, is when she returns and she's rejected by her daughter too, which I, kind of like what's the lesson
1: there well she doesn't know until she gets back which is an interesting element about the world building and that wow. when obviously we now know Ruth was Vera's mother mm-hmm. that the, the the inhabitants of the town are they're, they're erased like the mothers are really erased
2: mm-hmm. from
1: their memory in lots of ways because like you said the rituals after the mother disappears is gathering all her things and they go to this like thrift shop And everyone could take them, and then they burn all the pictures that are existing of them. So they really just erase their existence. But literally, it happens in their brains because when Vera comes back, her own husband doesn't recognize her. Mm. Um, So you know for sure that somehow something happens in this town where they're erased from the memory. So, but she wouldn't have known that before because she didn't know Ruth was uh, her mother. She just thought it was. They all thought it was a stranger. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how they're sort of run out of town or, or killed in a way by the townspeople when they when they perceive their immorality, like the, the Ruth came back and, you know, she really was making love to her own husband, even though yeah. we didn't know that at the time. Uh, and, and the townspeople didn't remember her. So they, you know, cause oh, they technically if the mom comes back, everybody should be like, oh my God, you're back, mm-hmm. but they don't remember her. So that's a built-in thing of this community that's not explained
0: yeah it, it three thoughts <laughs> one was um a colleague who i think said that part reminded her of like maybe like a little bit of like the meanness of of sometimes women and girls when they can get together and band together right
2: yeah.
0: um another part thinking about the relationship with the father like maybe some kind of sort of rivalry for like the affection of the father right and then also i think there is Definitely something in her repeating the path of her mom, where like when you get older, I say this all the time because I'm constantly complaining about re- inflation or whatever. I'm like, I've turned into my mother, <laughs> like I've completely turned into my mother, I've turned into my dad. Um and and being able to reflect as an adult and understand like the positioning of your mother that you didn't understand as a child, right? And and having that flipped. I think that was also very interesting in this book too.
1: Yeah, I mean, the things about motherhood um, are interesting because there's, and though I love what it says about also being human, and that there's one part where she Vera is contemplating how she sort of slightly enjoys when her child is under duress
2: mm-hmm. or
1: has a, you know, gets upset or slightly hurt because mm-hmm. the act of soothing
2: yes. the child
1: is so pleasurable that yeah. that the mother almost it's like has to be, it has to be said you know enjoys when her child is under stress because then she gets to soothe her which is an interesting like i said i used the word selfish before and I'm, i don't think it's the right word but like that's sort of you know satisfaction of one's own emotions you know regardless of what it might because how many mothers could really admit that you know like honestly say oh yeah i like when my kid stubs their toe and screams bloody murder because i can soothe them i mean but that's a true thing i mean it's a real thing it's not like you're i mean i'm saying actively trying to hurt them so you could do it but you know i'm sure some mothers do that the whole yeah thing by proxy or whatever that is like sick children to care for them
0: I think it's like, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of it is like, you know, not like the child actually gets really harmed or anything like that. But the, the sensation of of being needed, being like, yeah. you know, they really yeah. want their mom and I'm that person. There's no other person that can soothe this child like right. just me. And I think that is, you, you know, I do wonder. I mean, I'm not a mom, so I, I can't really speak to it, but I do wonder if there is we always search for meaning in our lives. So to have that happen, I think it's like, oh, like I was meant to be here. I was meant to do this because I'm a mom or I'm this or I'm that, right? And I think that can feel good, you know, to know well, that you're in the world.
1: Exactly. You actually hit on the other thing I wanted to talk about is that this this desperate need or this need in us to create meaning in our lives, to create meaning and make sense of, of things, which is, you know, goes in all the books we read in lots of ways in our, in our own lives. Like, for example, the, after, you know, after a mom disappears, the, the townspeople, which is a very human thing, start contemplating all the ways in which she deserved to disappear. It's like when you talk about the mean girl aspect, they, you know, they all discuss, well, she wasn't really the best mother or she did make this one mistake or she didn't make the dinner correctly that day. So that's probably why she disappeared. Like this desperate need to sort of connect connect the through line that, oh, she disappeared because she did this, like she did mm-hmm. something bad, where it's just the fact that they disappear and there is no real reason. Um, but I had a note that said, um,
2: <laughs>
1: where is this? Well, it's, just, there was a part where deciding um, when you're raising the baby, there's so many, there's so many um, signifiers of what they are, like their behavior and what you think that, that behavior will turn into. So they're like a fussy baby. And that might, that you think a mother can think, well, this means my kid's going to become this. And so it's like deciding, giving them meaning as, as a baby and what their future might be versus what they actually turn into or your relationship is, which sometimes have, has no relationship. It's that need to sort of, to say this, there has meaning here. Like, oh, you were always a fussy baby and that's why you're a librarian now, <laughs> you know? And, like, there's a through line for this. But ultimately at the end of the book, you know, there's one comment Vera makes, how all, all those years of, of her doing what she did signified nothing. The only meaning that they had was, was that they were hers. And I thought that was sort of poignant because it's sort of like, you know, all this struggle to give meaning to our lives when you're like, I don't know what it all means. It doesn't mean anything. But the only meaning it really has is that I lived through it, that it was mine. Um, but I just still think that idea, I think the, the strongest, most interesting concept is that idea is that she had to, she had to leave so she could keep loving her daughter.
0: Yeah. I really,
1: that, that feeling of mother love, she just could not exist. She did not want to exist without it. And she didn't want to be without it. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was an interesting thing to say.
2: And
0: I, I like that interpretation of it too, you know, because I think I was so focused on just the idea of her not wanting to disappear in like a very purely like selfish, although your, your um uh, interpretation is also like selfish, but there is a, there is something not selfish in that wanting to hold on to this love for her child. Um, and I think I really like that reading of it. it
1: makes a little bit more I sense. Well, I mean, I don't mean selfish. That's why they're not the bad, best word in a negative and totally negative way. It's, I don't mean it to sound. Self-focused, self
2: No. Yeah. I mean,
1: all those self words that have such negative connotations in a way.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe
1: self-care. You could no, say. It. That's not the same. <laughs> it was self. She had to leave because of self-care. Um. But, but, it, but I mean, it, it's honest, it's it's yeah. not dishonest, but it's it almost seems antithetical to the purpose because like she's leaving her own child so she can continue loving her child because she does think she's gonna disappear and she just doesn't want to disappear, but That's she does right. disappear.
0: So maybe what you're saying is like, the f- her leaving is less about the fear of her death but more about keeping alive love, right? Yeah,
1: yes. Okay. Yeah. It did make me think at some point, did you think this, that maybe all the mothers actually leave? And that I thought maybe when she went out into the world, she would encounter other mothers in the world?
2: Yeah,
0: I wondered about that. Like. I think I thought initially this whole disappearance was a complete just like, oh, you know, they they disappear, something else happens. But it seems like all, they actually do disappear in a, um, what is that, what is that a book, The Leftovers, you know, the one that has the, the rapture situation and they yeah. just, they're gone, right? And there's no telling what happens to them. Um, it's still very unclear and it's also unclear to me why. But then like if, if all of them do disappear except for Vera and her mom then why is it just them that actually yeah. are able
2: to escape
1: and come that from? we know yeah. of
0: yeah oh good point that you know of yes yeah. yeah. maybe it's other
1: people too I mean that's why it deviates from the lottery to me is that this is not something they created or at least the author is not telling us that's something that the townspeople created this disappeared mm-hmm. others something that's just that's just part of their life. That's from outside of them, almost. Whereas the lottery, the people created it themselves. That's what makes it so horrible, in a way, is that they've just, they've pinpointed a human need, a bloodlust in some ways. And yeah, that, like sort of like the purge.
2: Yeah. Yes. Where
1: we you're allowed to go wild for one day a year. Um, but this is sort of a cosmic thing in their life that I guess we all have in our communities or in the world that we just accept as part of mm-hmm. life like death I guess is one way I mean just rituals around death we all we don't know when it's going to happen but it is at some point and and this is another component of that but obviously there is a literary point being made here about the mother it's just the mothers
0: yeah and the women are the ones that are driving all the action. Like the husbands are there and the fathers are there, but they're not driving the action. Right. Um, And they're much, and I think they're more two dimensional, which I also am like, that's always fun because a lot of the times I read books where the women are really two dimensional. Um, Mm -hmm. So, that but i would say the rituals when i refer to rituals the ritual it, for me is less of the woman disappearing but it's more of what happens afterwards with all her stuff like i think it's so weird i not like creepy horror ish compared to the lottery but certain, there's something very weird to me about like your mom has just disappeared and here's rituals we get rid of all the pictures of her all her stuff and then all the other women take like things and wear yeah. hats and wear this yeah. and that. And there she's sort of like subsumed into this larger woman group in that way. And there's nothing really left of her for the child or for the family. And I think that is dark to me <laughs> and no. um, very un atypical of how I would imagine a grieving process or how we culturally grieve, right?
1: Well, they did, they, the book did indicate that the husband and the children wail, like they do a keening yeah. school where they do are wailing, but, but it's the, not made a lot of.
0: Right. You know. I mean, the the crying and stuff, but there's an active intent by the women in the community to erase this person, which I think is weird to me. Right? Well, I mean,
1: there. we say it again?
0: oh and from my interpretation it felt like there was an active intent to erase the person uh, like oh she's gone we're done like
2: goodbye well, I mean, hmm.
1: it speaks to a lot to the rituals of life because i remember that part i thought it was interesting where uh vera says to her husband like you know i might i feel like i'm disappearing or something it, maybe i don't know but just yeah. something like that he's like no oh, you're fine and then she goes well it's probably going to happen like you know what will you do like what, what how, how would you feel about that and he says i'd wail for you like me like the way it was written it's like i'd accept it it's just yeah. what happens like you know I, he's like well i would you know i would do would do what everyone else always does when this happens mm-hmm. which slightly surprised me because it wasn't like an elevated romantic statement it yeah. was just part of the ritual of life like well i would then i would do what everyone expects me to do basically mm-hmm. Uh, he's not a bad guy at all, the husband. No,
2: but, I mean, I think,
0: like, the, the way the story is told, like, Vera clearly loves her husband and vice versa, but then you still see the kind of, like, forgetting and stuff that happens later, too. I,
1: I mean, it's very much, like, like life, I mean, in that, I keep pondering, like, why mothers? Why disappear? It's like, well, why anything? And mm-hmm. one of the things that it said another. story great quote. It it said, um, you don't get to keep what is sweetest in your life. You only get to remember it.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: in a way, it's sort of like, you can't really hold on to the best things in life for long. It's like they just change too quickly or change eventually. And it really almost resides in memory. And maybe the most, maybe the most powerful version of your life experience r- resides in memory. And maybe that's part of the Vera leaving and not just that sort of self-focused aspect of wanting to feel the love for her kid is that it's she knows that it really will only exist in a very satisfying way in her m- own memory.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But eventually it will change and alter and disappear. I mean, she want, I, yeah, like you said, she wants to keep that alive, that mother love alive. Mm-hmm. As long as she possibly can. And that's really the through line of the book. Um, but I that concept of the, it, it, the best things or sweetest things in life are oh, really exist most fully in your memory.
2: Yeah. Not at the moment
1: of them happening in some ways.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So anyway, I mean, <laughs> what?
0: It was an interesting read, right? Like I, it was a book that I, when I was reading, I was like... I was, it was it was just very interesting for me. Um, and again, I say this from a perspective of somebody who is not a mother except for right. a mother of a of a cat.
1: of a cat and future dogs.
0: A cat and future well, dogs. You basically
1: you, just started off this whole conversation with about, about motherhood, mother with twenty dogs.
0: But it was such an interesting experience to read it and to also kind of reflect on. Me and my mom, and like you know, all of those things. So I I really in- enjoyed many aspects of this book. And so you know, anyways, yeah, posting for me. And I would not have expected it of a book like this because, you know how I like books with car chases, guns, very fast and furious type
1: race. Right? <laughs> macho crystal i mean i guess you also thought it would be more sci-fi is it catalog it's fiction more have a more sci-fi element to it which it didn't really
0: yeah i could yeah. see that or like more of a fantasy element that maybe there really was like some kind of magical thing that was happening and yeah. like- I think I really did expect that um, other than Roof and Vera, but like maybe some of the other moms would be encountered again. And I, you know, would there be some big reveal or something And that right. doesn't really happen? And I don't think it needs to happen in it. Right. Um, but yeah.
1: Right. Exactly. Like a reason you get the explanation of why all this is happening. And it, it, mm-hmm. it becomes much more of a, an emotional interior journey than a, like a, Plot-driven, sort of. Here's where's the evil Stepford Wives plot that we
2: behind mm. the
1: scenes. Um, it's very metaphorical um, or um, allegorical. No. To use echo words. <laughs> 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 well, this is it. Bye, Crystal. Bye forever.
2: <laughs> forever. forever.
1: I've said goodbye so many hundreds of times, the revolving door. Three times, come on. Get a grip, Frank. (laughs) Talk about disappearing. I'm the one that stays and everyone leaves me.
0: Oh you offer a, a, an excellent kind of consistency, which I appreciate. Mm. But I think, you know, even with me gone, I know it'll be really, really hard for you. And I can see the tears already starting. <laughs> it'll be so wow. hard for you. But I think you'll soldier on and do just mm. fine. No, I think it's actually going to be amazing without me. Like, I'm dragging this stuff down. So it'll oh be my God. I think you're going to have a wonderful, uh, again, to the powers that be at the library, I really want this podcast to be called Frank's Salon.
1: <laughs>
2: I want you I to do it. And
1: then the library has to buy me a, a fainting sofa so I can recline. Oh, yeah. That would feel so good in there, too. better so like mic and sound system.
0: I think you should so I can
1: do lie there I'm just be like. like
0: 15 minute poetry readings, right? Like like things like that. Talk about all sorts of I I you know, I want to see um marketing right. photographs of you in your like beautiful room. Um, was it the the Mae West room, right? right? With your finger sandwiches and your your tea glasses with your pinky in the air. Like I want yeah. all of them for you.
1: <laughs> you really have my life down.
0: Right. I'll have to disappear. I think we have to like really lean into right. this instead of lean away from it which I think the library would want us to lean away from it no no let's lean in <laughs> I
1: don't know we'll see where this podcast goes mm-hmm. where the books culture and what to read next how it evolves mm-hmm. the Crystal Chen era has concluded mm-hmm.
0: to be shelved I'm alongside glad you're the Rhonda me. Evans the Gwyn Glazer <laughs> eras.
1: I know I know I know it'll be interesting
0: um but the, the but Frank era happy will never
1: ends. What?
0: The Frank era will never ends. we like I'll it that way. A
1: little. some point I'll disappear into the mist.
0: I think really like we just have to admit the truth which is I think the other co-host that was always meant to be your co-host
1: is Jefferson Market. <laughs> <laughs> you're smart. So you. You're not wrong. If Jefferson Market could speak.
0: It's always the um, other character, and are all the podcast you know, recording yeah. like
1: it has a life of its own? Figured out. You figured that, figure that out, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess it's pretty obvious. Well, I definitely need a strong co-host to put me in, my, put put me, you know, set me straight, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Chrissy's there. She has a lot of experience hurting us, so yeah, hurting. Hmm. Would well, you want to say anything finally before we leave? Besides, um, see ya.
0: Oh, my, I lied before when I said I got this other job. Really, it's because I made some really smart Bitcoin investments. I have some NFTs. <laughs> I'm in the cryptocurrency trade.
1: <laughs> She's a multimillionaire. She says it's Bitcoin, but I have a feeling it's it. And I'm not going to say I what it is. I bought
0: all me. this, you know, when GameStop, you know, all those stock stock market options. I yeah. bought all of that. Oh, God. And
1: that—that's
0: that's really what's happening. I have a yacht. Oh
1: my god! <laughs> right, Crystal's like, I'm going to work remotely with 20 dogs. Flash cut to her drinking champagne on the yacht. She's I mean, like, I was fools. I still <laughs> don't. Know. I'm
0: I still don't entirely understand Bitcoin. I think at one point I checked oh, out yeah. a book that was called Bitcoin for Dummies. <laughs> and I was like, I don't really understand what this is. I need some explanation, please. Listen, I
1: still feel slightly stressful when I pay with a card rather than cash.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, old yeah. I, am.
1: I mean, it's like, I'm sometimes like, should I use my card? Because like growing up, the card was like only for like really rare occasions. Mm-hmm. you bought something big ticket, like you. and now it's, you know, you buy a Snickers bar with a
0: credit card true yeah and you can you, and i learned the whole like tapping thing with a credit card because yeah, yeah. so i never know where you tap it so i just rub the card all
1: over until <laughs> if well, i i you have anxiety about it because i do too it's like right but like sticking it secure. in and getting the chip to work makes me like, yeah it's,
0: i've heard that the the tapping is more secure over the swipe and maybe there even insert so that's why i do it but it's it's the learning curve you know
1: it's uh, right? yeah it's it's a learning curve, like we started this conversation about remote work. It's, you know, without technology, we couldn't even do it. It's just like that. Sometimes I'm like, just cause it's invented doesn't mean you have to use it. Mm-hmm. True. Um, or as Marjorie Maine in the Meet Me in St. Louis said, do you remember the movie Meet Me in St. Louis with Judy no. Garland? It takes place in like 1904. Mm-hmm. And the family is waiting for a call from this guy who's gonna propose to one of the daughters. Mm-hmm. And is the, the maid the sort of like gruff cook who's like very funny
2: mm-hmm. and she
1: comments at one point like saying well i wouldn't want to be proposed to over an invention
2: mm-hmm. meaning the
1: phone was so new that it was like like unknowable and crazy like why would you why would he want to propose marriage to her over a phone was mm-hmm. an invention that's some made up like that's not how you do it. You shouldn't do it that way. So I always think about that. Like you know, just because you know we have this invention doesn't mean we have to employ it that way.
2: Oh, yeah, that's but,
1: true. But it sort of becomes a life of its own. Technology, you know, is is what it is. Uh, it's it's no turning back. Certainly. So you know, whatever it is, it is. It's make the best of it. Like we always do it at any given point in life. I mean, that's what we can do
2: hmm
1: but like you can make choices like you know at some point like I'm older it's like I can say I want to live my life this way mm-hmm. but you know, since the pandemic it has consumed more of my time I don't want to talk about this anymore <laughs> I don't want to talk about technology anymore um <laughs> uh, even though we will always come up mm-hmm. but thank you crystal I appreciate it it's been a pleasure mm-hmm. see I can use some people and I trust them and then they leave me it's the story of my You're life eternally betrayed <laughs> I guess that's my narrative and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) The betrayal.
0: I I will definitely miss this. Um, It is, it does bring me a lot of joy to come in every couple of weeks and talk to you and talk to Christy and everyone and and hang out for a little bit. So it's always been kind of fun and I appreciate the, the good vibes.
1: (sighs) Well, and who knows what your future will hold? You might come from crying back.
0: True, with my you know what, I'll stop by Jefferson Market with my pack of twenty puppies.
1: You could bring your puppies to the May West room and do remote work with your twenty. Yes. Puppies. Uh, on and you could lie on my fainting couch if you'd mm-hmm. like, But I have yet to buy. That the library's going to buy that for me. Do a purchase order for that. See how that gets pushed through.
0: Don't tell them. Don't tell them, Frank. This is, you have to do it after. Don't. You can't tell them this. All right, all
1: right. we got to stop. Yeah. We're just talking because right. we don't want to let go. Or at least I don't. Goodbye, everybody.
0: Goodbye forever. Thanks for listening to The Librarian is In podcast by the New York Public Library. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast or Google Play, or send us an email at podcasts at nypl.org. For more information about the New York Public Library, please visit nypl.org. We are produced by Christine Farrell. Your hosts are Frank Hilarious and Crystal Chen.